Karen Levine, it is great to have you in studio. You are an award-winning, award-winning realtor with Remax Alliance. You and I have known each other for a long time. And uh, I know that you take great care, just like Jason McBride over at Presidential Wealth Management. You take great care uh, in bringing your expertise to uh, working with your clients. And it's uh, your partner of, of the AmeriChicks. Greatly appreciate it. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be a partner with you. It's, it's great to have you here. First thing, you were in Washington, D.C., and what a time you had. What a time we had. Because you're on the board of the National Group of Realtors, right? Yeah. So I am a director for the National Association of Realtors. Okay. The National Association of Realtors currently has a membership of a little over 1.3 million members. Wow. We're all realtors. The difference from a real estate licensee, we abide by a strict code of ethics and a, a, a slate of standard practices and professional standards. Um, so we always encourage um, consumers to seek a realtor. Um, they may have heard our new um, advertising campaign out there. That's who we are. And R is the realtor R. And um, it's been pretty exciting. It's been getting great traction in social media, letting people know the difference between a realtor and a real estate licensee. Okay. Um, As a board of directors, I um, have the privilege or the daunting task of trying to know the best direction um, and representation for 1.3 million members. And we head to Washington annually and have for, I think, somewhere near 50 years Um, During the month of May, we are there for a week, and we uh, do what we call storming the hill. Um, We had 11,000 attendees this year. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, and we went down to the hill and talked to our congressmen and senators about our issues that regard uh, homeownership, public um, policies that affect um, private property rights, and um, taking care of the American dream. I I love that. It was pretty cool. You know, I was driving the other day, and I uh, there was a house in the backyard, and I saw, you know, there was a, a, a little playhouse, and there was a swing set, and I saw the child, you know, swinging back and forth, and I thought, you know, you can't do that if you live in an apartment. That's you know, right. You, you, ha- you have to go out, and you need to make sure that the child is safe when they're on the, on the uh, you know, public park or whatever, but there was something about, I mean, I remember as a, a kid, a backyard and a swing set, a house... I mean, that's really part of the American dream. It is. You know, riding your bike over to your um, friend's house, you know, after school and kind of taking a trip around the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Those are great, great uh, memories. And we have to protect that. And that's what you do when you go to uh, we Washington. We do. We yeah. do. And every year we invite the president of the United States to come and address us. It's an open invitation we have given um, throughout history. And um, it had been 12 years since the president had come and addressed us. We found out on Wednesday that President Trump had accepted our invitation and that he would be there Friday afternoon. I, well, when I got the text, <laughs> you were an excited girl. And so did you, did you hear him? I did. Um, I got in line at 8 a.m. The doors opened at 11. So that was a three-hour wait. Um, lots of secret service, um, heavy security, et cetera, to keep us all safe. Um, they allowed about 2,000 attendees into the ballroom, and I was very honored and privileged to sit in row five um, in front of the president, front and center. Um, of course, there's a big buffer for uh, the media, and then they put him at the back of the stage, 
So when I took photos, he seemed like he was rather much farther away. Yeah. Um, but what was really awesome is I made great friends with a couple of agents out of uh, Idaho, one from Boise, one from Coeur d'Alene, and um, a really awesome guy out of St. Petersburg, Florida. And we kind of clung together um, as a little troop. We were going to get good seats and, um, you know, share our thoughts and, and things about what's going on nationwide. So, Well, how long did he speak? Well, that kind of blew me away as well. He talked to us for over an hour. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. And it was a conversation. Um, as many of you know, President Trump is not a politician. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> He's a, he is a businessman. And we are all um, sole proprietor business people in the real estate business. And he made his wealth through real estate. So, you know, we really are on common ground as far as what we're trying to achieve, what he's trying to achieve for um, the nation and what we're trying to achieve household mm-hmm. by household. So um, I found it really encouraging. Um, and uh, he really appreciates what we do and uh, encourages us to continue to pursue that American dream for the people we work for. You know, Karen, I was not initially on the Trump train. And I remember having coffee <laughs> with you up in Northwest Denver before the election you know, when there was still the whole group of, of Republicans and you said, you know, I, I, you were, you liked Trump and I'm I'm like, okay, Uh. so how, why, how, how did you figure that out so early? I have no idea. I was pretty sure I had a screw loose. Um, (laughs) and you know, it wasn't something that you could have a safe conversation about, um, because it was such tenuous times and, um, he was so different from, the typical politician. Um, but I knew he was a successful businessman. And as a businesswoman, um, I just felt that our nation had become so political. And so as, you know, we talk about taking control, controlling the populace, I could feel those restraints. And I wanted to find someone who would fight for our freedoms back. And I think it needed to be somebody who wasn't part of the fold. It was needed to be somebody who was outside the typical culture. And um, I know he can be rather offensive. He says things without thinking and he doesn't really care. And that just annoys people because he's not politically correct a lot of times. Um, But he speaks from his heart and he dearly cares about the people of the United States of America. And um, I think that if people would um, not buy into the negative rhetoric that we hear day in and day out, Mm -hmm. Um, and look at the work that he is accomplishing nationwide for the small business person, for the farmer, um, um, for the hardworking taxpayer. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we can appreciate a lot of the work that's been done over these past couple of years. You know, Karen, I I hear that he's actually a very warm individual, that what you see out there, you know, when he's doing the tweeting and, and the fighting, uh, that that that. His personality, though, is he's very warm mm-hmm. uh, with people. And, you know, he doesn't have to be doing this. No. Uh, you know, uh, <laughs> what, a young millennial that I know, she said, you know, uh, and she made sure that she was registered to vote so that she could vote for Donald Trump. She said he doesn't have to do this. You know, he's wealthy. He could be playing golf. She said he's got a smoking hot wife, you know, great family. Um, but he seems to have this thing on his heart I think he genuinely cares about the American people, everyday American people, no matter what descriptor you want to put behind that or before that, Mm -hmm. you know, African-American, 
Hispanic, Asian, LGBTQ, you know, whatever. I, I really think that he cares about everyday individuals. But where he's where he takes a stand is on this freedom versus force thing that we have going on. And we were headed on a cliff where we had politicians and bureaucrats that were putting themselves in place that were really going to forcibly take away the American dream for everyday hardworking people. And here comes Donald Trump. And, uh, I mean, I'm just kind of sitting back going, I can't believe what's going on. But 3.2% GDP growth this, this last uh, quarter. I remember when Obama said that 1, 1.5% was all we're going to get. There's no way we could grow enough then for our financial obligations that we have to our, our children. Uh, but if, in fact, we can get this economy really going, Brian Dimitrovic, the economist, says that we could possibly grow ourselves out of some of these challenges that we have. And uh, it's beyond me that the people that we have politicians and bureaucrats and people that are rooting for Donald Trump to fail, mm-hmm. because when they're rooting for Donald Trump to fail, they're rooting for everyday hardworking Americans to fail. Exactly. And I think my big frustration has been the time and energy they've spent on discrediting him as opposed to um, working with working him. with him. And those are taxpayer dollars that are going to waste when they could be affecting things um, to continue to improve um, the American people's situation. And um, it's just a frustration. Mm-hmm. Um, and we saw that on the Hill um, for, for certain. You know, um, they spend more time belittling, criticizing, etc. the president of the United States than going and doing good works. Well, and a case in point is reading the Mueller report. I mean, we've got issues that we need to get get uh, addressed here. You know, immigration, um, you know, rolling back rules, regulations, things that we as 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 Americans send our um, elected representatives to Washington to do. And instead, reading this Mueller report, you know, the Democrat Party, my friends, is no longer the Democrat Party of JFK or your parents. Mm -hmm. It is now being controlled by uh, far left people that want to use force to take away the American dream for other people. And uh, so instead of reading the Mueller report, how about you get to work? Or uh, I I saw a very interesting meme the other day. They said, I would, I'm less interested in a billionaire in the tax. Let's see. I'm less interested in the tax returns of a billionaire businessman that's gotten into politics then how i'd like to see the tax returns of politicians that have become millionaires mm-hmm. I'm like okay that makes a lot of sense right yeah. <laughs> but we're gonna go to break when we come back let's talk about the housing market right here in denver i know that you've got some really interesting numbers so this is kim munson guest chick karen levine is in studio and we'll be right back hey Welcome back to the AmeriChicks with Kim Munson, where we dissect issues as right versus wrong instead of right versus left. Agree or disagree? Let's have a conversation. Offering you a conservatarian perspective, be sure and check out my website, AmeriChicks.com, and check out Stanford Colorado website as well, uh, because we are putting up the videos from the Stanford Colorado rally that we had recently. In studio is award-winning realtor with REMAX Alliance, Karen Levine. And Karen, we talked about your trip. Once a year, you go back to Washington, D.C., uh, and you you came back encouraged. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what's going on here in the Denver real estate market? Uh, there was a CPR article that said that uh, Denver real estate market is cooling a bit. What say you? Well, it's interesting that 
that that's the perception that it's cooling. Um, what's kind of encouraging is we have been being critical of complaining about the lack of inventory in our marketplace. And as we know, when we look at um, just basic economics 101, when you have high demand and low supply, the prices go up. Mm -hmm. And we've seen great appreciation. Sellers have really benefited, um, especially sellers that needed to move, had to move, had a desire to move, um, had great equity positions because of appreciation. Um, what we've seen, um, the first quarter, we came out of the shoots a little bit slow, but inventory was increasing. Activity was down from what we had experienced over the last several years. And um, people, you know, they wanted a new storyline. And the new storyline was we were moving out of a seller's market and into more of a buyer's market. Um, I would concur that it's not that dramatic of a shift in the fact that I was up in Fort Collins showing property two weekends ago. Um, we looked at seven homes. It was the buyer's first time out. Um, they're in a price range, which is very competitive, 400000 which if we look at the metro statistics, our medium price um, has gone up from last April to this April uh, by 1.2% from 405000 to four ten. So we're looking in that medium price range. Very competitive. Um, and that's for the metro area as well? That's, yeah, that's okay. the metro statistic. And um, so Fort Collins wouldn't fall particularly in those statistics, but it gives us a sense of what's going on. Um, out of the seven homes that we showed, uh, four were under contract by the end of the weekend. The one that we had chosen to, per, to put an offer in on, I made the phone call when we completed our showings, and that home had gone under contract 45 minutes prior. Wow. So um, still competitive in that, in that affordable price range for sure. Um, the other thing that I found really interesting is over the last couple of months, as our, indi- our new listings coming on the market increased, for instance, from April of 2018 to April of 2019, we saw new listings increase by 12, over 12%, okay. um, which is great. We have more new listings coming on the market. But if you look at inventory of active listings, which means the total number that buyers have to pick from, that only increased 4.5%. And then you look at the key number, under contracts. How many of those homes that came on the market went under contract? Our under contracts were up 16%. So that means we still have strong activity in the marketplace. Um, And if we had 16.3% increase in under contracts um, year over year, we're going to have a strong sold data for the month of May and early June because typically homes are closing within 30 to 45 days. I've seen that there's like some new developments that are coming on. Uh, talk to us a little bit about these new homes. Well, new construction is starting to increase as far as we've been so behind in inventory and listening to Lawrence Yoon, who is the National Association of Realtors Economist, um, and he speaks nationwide about, you know, the housing economy. He has said that building permits have been down over, you know, this growth. Um, they haven't quite caught up. Um, and that's why inventory really is low nationwide. That's a political thing. Totally, because um, somewhere between, I want to say, 45 to 52 percent of the cost of construction is through regulation. And that cost 
is what's also keeping us from having affordable homes coming out of the ground. Um, And many of those regulatory costs are municipal and county costs. Those are not in state. They're not federal costs. It's more local costs. So we really need regulation out of there. Pulling permits um, is very costly. It's very tedious. It's very time-consuming. And it's not encouraging to the business environment. But we are starting to see um, people feel, developers, investors feel that um, new construction um, needs to be done and they're finding opportunity. So, yep, we're moving some dirt. We're putting some holes in the ground. Um, But none of that um, in in the front range, minimally, we have a couple condo projects coming out of the ground. But because of the construction defect legislation from eight years back, that continues to inhibit the condo construction environment. Okay, Karen, this is a, this is a big I think about this a lot. You, you just mentioned something about affordable housing. And again, these people that are uh, talking climate change all the time want to get people out of our their cars on onto trains, bicycles, and buses. They also, I think, stand against home ownership, which you just mentioned. Mm-hmm. I, I'd like love to get the source on that that anywhere from what forty five to fifty two percent of the cost of a home, is due to regulations. So we have have all these pundits that talk about affordable housing, affordable housing, and their solution is always a government program right, let's, that they administrate and make money off of. But what you're saying is we could actually make housing more affordable. People could have their own home by getting regulations out of the way. Right. Does Trump get that, do you think? Oh, yeah. I mean, he made that statement um, to us in, in his presentation um, that if we could um, eliminate... Uh, a plethora of the regulation, affordability could return to housing nationwide. You know, speaking of that, when I was on city council, we were presented, so building codes, this is a big deal. And uh, and every few years, I, I know that our head of our building de- department, uh, they, they have a big conference and they come together to um, put forth new building codes. So building codes for 2020, mm-hmm. building codes for 2021. And what you see is there's interested parties that are trying to get those building codes to mandate something. It might be to total have, have sprinklers mm-hmm. throughout all of uh, a building or a home or whatever. And guess who's behind trying to get those regular that in the building mm-hmm. code? The sprinkler makers. Mm-hmm. But that increases the cost significantly for a home or an apartment. And so that's what we see is all these you know, regulations, it's almost the death of the American dream by a thousand cuts, a thousand regulations. That's yeah. what we saw, see in home ownership, too. Definitely. And it's, and it's not just those rules and regulations. It's also then zoning. Uh, because when you mentioned we haven't been moving a lot of dirt here in, in America to build new homes. Right. Well, and it's interesting when you talk about regulation. Um, one of our key conversation points in Washington had to do with flood insurance. And for the past 10 years... Um, our lovely government has been extending the federal flood insurance program, um, as we say, kicking the can down the road four to six to eight months at a time. Um, We are very hopeful Congress signed the extension till September. The Senate has, based on our conversations, say they will be signing it. So federal flood insurance program will get extended till September. Well, the height of hurricane season is September to November, 
So that's a bit of a problem when you look at flood insurance. But what's really interesting is the program we've been asking for several years that that program be revamped. And the key component is remapping. And there's all this amazing technology to remap nationwide um, the floodplain maps so that there's... um, um, they're accurate and that um, developers will know where is the good land, et cetera. But a great story is a commercial piece of property in Arvada um, that says it's in the floodplain. The cost of holding flood insurance would be astronomical, and yet they could go through government red tape to get it. And it was a document thing. It was a paper trail right, okay. thing. It really was out of the floodplain. But developers walked away because of the cost and really the time to go through the red tape. Uh-huh. So we see those examples here often. Okay. Well, Karen Crazy. Levine, we are just about out of time. Thank you for being here. It's always a treat to have you in as a guest chick. Well, thanks for having me as a guest chick. It's and, always a pleasure, be, um, except for the 3.30 alarm clock. I but, know. You know. That, is, that one's a little <laughs> rough, that's for sure. So uh, if you would like to talk to Karen about uh, your home, buy, sell, get a home, 303-877-7516 is your phone number, 303-877-7516. Karen Levine, it's you great to it. have you here. Thanks.